my friends, to the Mail Right Real Estate Agent Podcast Show. We're on episode 101, and uh, my co-host Jonathan Denwood and myself, Thomas J. Nelson, are pleased to have our guest today, Mr. Peter R. Larmer of PLG Estates up in L.A., um, also famously in Beverly Hills. <laughs> um, Peter, would you uh, tell our listeners a little about yourself before we dive into the questions? Uh, sure, yes. Yeah. So um, I am a fellow Englishman, um, and we are, uh, we, we're a company that's about seven years old now. We're based, we, our original office was in Beverly Hills. Now we got one east side, which services kind of um, like East Hollywood for those of people who are outside of LA. And then we've got one in the valley in Studio City. And our company was kind of born out of a frustration with um, very kind of uh, corporate feeling companies. And so we set up a very kind of edgy, cool, hip, um, creatively minded company back in 2010. All right. And before we dive in, I'm going to have my co-host introduce himself. Jonathan, take it away. Hi there, folks. Here's the hip Jonathan Jenwood here. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm the founder of MailRight, and we help you um, with Facebook leads and other online marketing tasks. And I'm Thomas J. Nelson. I'm a residential realtor here in San Diego, California, just a little south of Peter. And I'm available on my website at thomasjnelsonrealtor.com. All right. Well, once again, Peter, welcome to the show, and thanks for being here. My pleasure. I want to uh, dive into your history a little bef uh, before we get into my actual questions now, because as a uh, former disc jockey myself, you intrigued me as a guest because you are um, famously a re record producer. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get into producing records and what did that entail? So, yeah, I, um, well, it, it, it kind of all began, I was a musician at, at, at school. Right. I played the trombone of all instruments, and I, I, was, I was really good at it. And I got sent as a, um, an exceptional student to the Royal College of Music at a young age, like 13, 14 years old. And, and then I toured with orchestras, and then around 1985, I heard, maybe 84, I heard a record by Steve Silk Hurley, called Jack Your Body, and it was a house record, house music, and from that moment, I'm like, you know, screw the trombone, I want to go make records like that, <laughs> so I, uh, I dropped out of high school and uh, went off to London to seek my fortune as a record producer, and within a couple of years, had managed to worm my way into the music business, and I, I was in the right place at the right time and I started having hits. I was in the birth of the electronic music scene in, in London. Oh, wow. Okay. Did, did you work with any bands that we would know uh, from pop, pop music? Yeah, I worked with um, people including, I worked with In Excess, I worked with George Michael, I worked with uh, Christina Aguilera, I worked with oh, a million, Level 42 wow. and Seal and so on and so on and so on. A lot of really big eyes. Yeah, that's an A-list. Gosh. So, and, and for those of us outside of the industry, what, what exactly is your role as a producer? What do you do for the artist? Okay. So the job of a record producer is very, very much the same as the job 
I guess, of a director of a film. What a record producer has is total creative control of the project from beginning to end. And uh, very often, which was the case with me, I used to write the stuff with the bands and I used to write the stuff with the artists. And, uh, and I used to play everything too, you know. It was all through computers, but I used to play the piano and program everything as well. I'm a, I'm a bit of a control freak that way, I suppose. <laughs> so now, how does that work? And I promise we'll get to real estate in a minute. But That's okay. Um, there's a, but there's a tie-in here to what you used to do and what you do now. And when, when you're working with somebody that, like an artist that's already got their concept of the, the, the music they're bringing in, how is it that you are able to uh, convince them that we're going to do it this way, not the way you've brought it in? That's a really good question, and it's a push and pull, and compromises are made. And <clears throat> I guess I learned my chops of being a good salesman in the music business, mm. making people feel comfortable. And really, it's the same thing as real estate, not to sound schmaltzy, but always striving to get the best results out of the artist, therefore the best record possible, um, was something that I learned to do. Uh, and, and I saw lots of great artists and, and producers kind of kill their careers early on by just digging their heels in too much. It's a compromise. It's a creative process, and everybody has to have a voice. Well, so and so I learned that. And I agree with you. And that's, that was kind of the, the, the leap I was making here because as agents, we very often walk into, say, a seller's home who has preconceived notions of how it's going to go. And that may be contrary to what's in the best interest of the sale of the property. And we have to kind of be the producer of that listing. So, so you have a great background that brings you to real estate, but how do you leave the industry of producing music with all these A-list artists and decide to become a realtor? I mean, where does that enter your life? So I've always been very techy. I follow, I follow a lot of tech. I, I still read a lot of blogs and blogs and I mean, it's just something I've always loved. Mm. And I made my first record. I got my first credit on a Bronsky beat record in oh. 19, 1988, I think it was, maybe 1989. And uh, I stayed in the music business all the way through to about 2003, and maybe, maybe even a little, a, a little earlier. But one of the things I spotted early on was MP3s. Right. And I was convinced that MP MP3s were going to forever dismantle the music business as we knew it. I've been in it a long time. Dance music is a very exhausting field of music to be in because you do the records, but then you also have to go to nightclubs and I had to DJ and, uh, I, you know, I was lucky I traveled the world doing this, but after about 10, 15 years, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be behind turntables when I'm 40 in a club at three in the morning. <laughs> so... I started, um, my road to real estate really started with investment. I, I, I seemed to have a nose to be able to pick areas that uh, in Los Angeles that were going to pop. And I invested in, in, a, in property in those areas and then, then it kind of, it did pop. And, and what I found was my tribe of creatives and musicians 
were, almost no offense to you, allergic to working with guys with shirts and ties and jackets. Sure. Right? And so I had all these music business people saying to me, hey, dude, can you help us? Where should we buy? What should we do? So I started giving out advice. And then one thing led to another. I got my license. And, uh, and then everything mushroomed into, into what it is today. So, and then it, I was reading your bio and it looks like about 2005 is when, were you officially a realtor by 2005? I think so, yeah. And that was with Keller Williams. That was with Keller Williams. And so your, your original database was a lot of musicians or people in the industry. Would that be fair to say? Correct. Okay. Correct. Well, yeah. and it makes sense because, I mean... Um, you know, I mean, I, and you know, you and I on, you know, mine was on a more local level. Um, I was a professional DJ for 28 years and I, I left the industry for the same reason, you know, gray in the hair works great as a realtor, not so much as a DJ. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I, but you know, it was, um, a lot of my first clients were the, were the brides and grooms of the weddings I was DJing, Um, you know, and so that's what, gave me my base when I first got started um, you know but it's it grows beyond that uh, obviously for you it has because um, I'm looking at the array of properties you sell and you've got everything from you know well for LA uh, would be a starter home all the way up to multi-million dollar homes so now how do you branch out how does your clientele grow beyond the industry that's a really good question. So um, when I was a new agent, the, the, the kind of the story behind this is my, my wife, um, within six months of me becoming a real estate agent, she quit her job and came to work with me. Uh, and um, she is more than 50% of the team. Okay. Uh, she's a powerhouse and I absolutely would not have been able to do this without her. Um, so what happened was we had a policy of, uh, and it's just the way, Cindy, my wife is Vietnamese, she came here during, to escape the war, and, and um, we, have a, we both have a similar work ethic, we're both not afraid of work. And so I originally started with my music business connections, and, and it wasn't easy, it wasn't like I called up all these A-listers and said, hey, remember me, I did a remix for you, I'd like to sell your house. <laughs> I mean. To be honest, I don't really remember which ones out of the industry worked with me initially, but I was just relentless. And I forged a good name as a record producer, which surprisingly to me, stood me in good stead as a real estate agent. I didn't think there would be any correlation at all. Uh, I I can appreciate that. I mean, again, you know, I had similar experience, you know, it was kind of like you, you almost didn't want to tell people you were selling real estate because they're like, wait a minute, you were, you did my wedding in my world. Um, how, now you want to sell me a house, but what I would spin it just like you said it, it's like, well, you know, would you have me do another wedding for you? If, if, you know, if you could do it over again, would you do another wedding with me? Of course I would. Well, that same care and, uh, and expertise that I put into that, I do the same for real estate. And that's right. what you sell people on is it's the work ethic is, tra- is what translates. I, I guess, and I was really, really surprised by that. Uh, uh, and what I did was, because I was kind of prospecting really at the birth of, 
of social media and, and really people, people, people were emailing, but not as much as they are today. Right. So I just hammered everybody I knew and I asked them for business. And I was relentless. I would call, I had embarrassing moments where I would call up record executives and, uh, and I'd be like, oh, hey, P, what's up, mate? What record are you working on? What project are you doing? <laughs> and I'd be like, well, actually, you know, I've had a change of career and, and now I'm, I'm selling real estate and I'd get that, oh, that's, that's great, dude. That, that's, that's great. All right, well, stay, yeah, be in touch, yeah? <laughs> Uh, and I would call them back in three months and then I would call them back in another three months and another three months until they just realized that I was going to be relentless. Yeah. And that you're serious about it. it I'm yeah. sure some people thought, oh, this is just a passing fancy and on to the next thing. But here you are. So, you know, and I'll tell you, I love that you use the word relentless because that is a word I hear top producers and successful people use over and over. They just... Right. You know, they, they, they don't they don't give up on their on, on their craft or their goals. Right. Um, yeah, so, but um, Thomas, I think it's time for we went for our break, folks. Okay. And um, I, I'm I'm such a beast, and I folks, I interrupt Thomas just just before <laughs> he was going to say something really fantastic. But there we go. We go for a break, folks, and we'll be back to learn more about Peter and his music and the change there is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want quality leads from homeowners and buyers right in your own neighborhood? Then you need MailRight. It is a powerful but easy to use online marketing system that uses Facebook to generate real estate leads at a fraction of the cost you'd pay from our competition. We stand behind our work with a no question asked 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Get started today. Go to mail right.com. We're coming back, folks. We're uh, rocking in this episode. It's rock and roll and real estate and everything that goes with it. Back to you, Thomas. All right. Well, speaking of real estate, I'm going to dive more into some real estate questions for you because what I do notice, uh, Peter, is that you have a lot of luxury homes in your um, on your website as sold and uh, currently on the market. So, how did you know? How would somebody? Uh, without those kind of connections, and, and you were very authentic with, you know, it wasn't just automatic for you either, but you did have a nice shoe in to the luxury market. But how, right. how would somebody uh, without that kind of connection um, make, make their way into the luxury market and um, have a go at it successfully? So if I was a new, a new agent doing this over again and my focus was luxury, Number one, I advise, and this is just my opinion, all agents out there who are watching this, who will feel like they want to sell luxury, sell anything. Right. Just make sure, don't turn people down. Some of my biggest deals came from some of my smallest leads. Yeah. And some of the people I thought were a dead cert that were going to sell with me that were luxury didn't. Mm. So... What I would do if I was a new agent trying to get into luxury is I would relentlessly, there's that word again, I would relentlessly call all the luxury brokers in the city, regardless of what company I'm at. Okay. I would make myself known to them. I would take them out for lunch. I would meet them for coffee. Mm. And I would ask them if I could sit their open houses. Okay. Now, well, now you bring up a good uh a point that I actually wanted to ask you about in the luxury market. Do you actually do open houses or do you just do private showings? 
we do open houses because even, and I have this conversation with sellers a lot. They're like, well, aren't you just going to show it privately? Well, back in the day, yeah, we used to show it privately, but now the game has changed that even people who are spending three to 10 million will be looking at Redfin <laughs> as they go around open houses yep. and then calling up their agent on the Monday saying, I saw this, this, and this. Can you get more information? Mm, okay. So now what do you do um, differently since you, I mean, I see that you sell all types of property. So is there a difference in your $4 million listing to your $400,000 listing open house? Um, surprisingly, they are very, very similar. Uh, what will happen with a luxury property is uh, it will be uh, promoted to a slightly different crowd and I use custom audiences in Facebook and mm. uh, I have a, a, a phenomenally powerful entertainment derived database so I'm not really going to be sending a four hundred thousand uh, dollar home to Beyonce's business manager because right. he probably doesn't have someone for it but I am gonna be sending anything two million and above to to a, a very exclusive LA crowd now, the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, um, how many sales occur in the luxury market that are off market for a home that's done and not a build site? Not that many. I mean, people still go live and the homes still get sold through the MLS. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, so let me ask you this, uh, and this is for any type of home, but it just your take on it as a successful agent. Uh, do you find your commission coming under fire? Yeah, I do. You know, I, I, I do. And I think we all do. And, and some of these massive, massive homes, I know that the commission gets allegedly reduced to like 1%. But, you know, if it's a $100 million home, who cares? <laughs> okay. So what? It, so it sounds like your attitude is more like it's, it's about the numbers uh, in uh, rather than what you make per deal is is that what I'm getting from you? Well, interesting. No, my policy with commission is this. Naturally, I always want to try and get at least two and a half percent. Right. But my policy is I never focus on the money, and I focus on the person, and I focus on the service. Now, with that being said, if I'm not going to be a doormat. If somebody wants to just grind me down, I'm not just going to take it. And I've walked away from many, many listings. And out of 100 listings, I would say 95 of them are two and a half and above. Okay. Um, um, but occasionally, uh, if there are mitigating circumstances, um, I may be uh, open to discussing uh, commission changes, but they tend to be much more expensive properties. Actually, Peter, can I come and work for you, actually? I know it's going to be a load of hard work, but I think it's going to be fun, actually, isn't it? Our <laughs> place, yeah. Well, you got to make this this career fun, Jonathan, because I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that try to steal your joy every day. Yeah. you got to have fun with it. <laughs> I, can but, um, we, I can see we've got the same attitude to some degree. <laughs> I think so. I mean, life's too short, you know? Life is just too short. You know, Peter, this might sound like a trivial question, but I mean, relationships are important to me. And one of the things I like to do when I close an escrow is give my clients a closing gift. And I'm wondering, um, is, is that something you do? And if it is, again, same like the open house question, is there a different... Sure. Go ahead. 
I'm just wondering if there's a difference um, in what you gift, um, you know, an, uh, uh, let's say a, a five hundred thousand dollar home versus a five million dollar home owner, uh, or what do you, what do what do you give luxury home people as a as a closing gift? Therapy sessions. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it varies. Uh, it depends because if it's a celebrity client, you know, am I going to send them a gift card to freaking um, the Grove or, or something? They're never going to use it, you know? Uh, would I take somebody for dinner? Yes, I would. It all depends on the client. So let's just say it's someone who is a doctor, right? Let's say it's a doctor that's buying a $5 million house and not a celebrity. I would take them out for a, a phenomenally expensive and delicious dinner. And then I would probably send the doctor and his wife to the spa for the day. Something like that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, my other question I had for you is because, um, this, because of the size of your business, how do, how, do you, how do you, what's a day in the life of you look like? How do you structure your day to get the most out of it? Well, every day is different. Okay. Uh, but there are a few, there, is, there are some uh, uh, um, structures that I use to, to, to get through the day. So I, I, I like, it's important for me to try and work out every morning. Ah, okay. I try. I don't succeed, but I try and do it at least five days a week. And uh, I, watch, I actually work out for my head rather than my body because mm. it just puts me in a really, really great frame of mind. What does that entail? Well, I get up at 4.45 and I'm in the gym by 5.30 and then I'm out of the gym by about 6.50 and I have a breakfast meeting at about 7. Wow. And, and I will work from, on a normal day, certainly from 8 to 8, I will work every day. And then all the videos that I do, I try not to let those intrude on normal hours. Okay. So I will work on those. I'll finish work at seven or eight o'clock at night, have dinner with the family, and then I'll, uh, I'll begin editing till nine, 10, 11. Yeah, that, that was going to ask you, the videos. What, what are the purpose of the videos and um, how, why did you decide to start doing them, Pete? So, great question. So, when I was setting up PLG, um, we were a very distinct flavor. Well, we are a very distinct flavor. And it kind of dawned on me that I can't, I'm not going to try and do the same thing everybody else is doing. So I'll just fail. I mean, I can't, I can't do Cobalt Banker better than Cobalt Banker did. Well, that's debatable, but I. I, I <laughs> No offense to Cobalt Banker. Are you either of you Cobalt Banker? I'm a former Cobalt Banker. I'm a Cobalt Banker. I'm not in real estate, thank God. Yeah, Jonathan. Oh, okay. Jonathan's yeah. like crazy. I'm going to away tomorrow, actually. Sunday, so I want some fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so I thought to myself, you know, it, 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 social media was was kind of coming out. As soon as I as soon as I saw MySpace and then and then Facebook. I remember having that kind of burning bush experience of this is the new frontier. And I took it to my manager at Keller Williams and bless her heart. She looked at me and she used the words, it's just a fad. It's going to go away. <laughs> and at that moment I knew I was, you know, I knew I was in the wrong place. No offense to Keller Williams. 
And I'm like, I got to set this up and do it my way. So when we were setting it up, I knew that I can't outspend Keller Williams. I can't outspend uh, Cowell Banker. Can't outspend Century 21. But I can do something different that's going to get noticed that nobody else is doing. And so it took a while to kind of get my wings because I was trying to figure out the direction. And then I figured out the direction with the sole purpose of bringing brand awareness to the company with the hopes that the byproduct would be that like-minded creative real estate agents would want to join a firm like mine. And it has worked out exactly, if not better than I thought. So yeah, it's a pretty robust uh, video channel or YouTube channel. And um, I was curious too, if because um, you bring up social media a lot, how are you... Uh, using Facebook Live uh, as an extension of that? So we use Facebook Live quite a lot. We use, I do a Monday mantra on a Monday morning, like mm-hmm. Facebook Live, 10 o'clock. And then this afternoon, I'm going to do lattes with Lorimer at uh, 3 o'clock where I interview one of the agents at the office. Nice. Um, and then we have a whole gang load of, of, of other stuff that happens during the week. And then I try and do a, a backstage pass every week and I try and do a, a life and times. I try every week, but I'm failing at that one. <laughs> and I think we're going to start a new live stream uh, theme at some point during the week. I'm going to be talking about tech, you know, it'll be like tech for 10 minutes sure. uh, of what's come out this week. So, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good investment of time. I know I, I do a lot of video too. And there are days where, you know, I know I'm sitting there doing a video thinking, is this really the best use of my time? But, you know, but then when you get a result from it, you realize, yeah, but, and if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have gotten that connection. So what kind of results are you getting? Um, and do you notice a difference in results between YouTube and Facebook Live? Uh, very interesting question. So, yeah, initially we were very much, uh, we had an inbuilt audience with, with Facebook and we were getting lots and lots of, of views uh, from kind of the local area. Uh, and, and YouTube was actually kind of very slow to pick up. But now what I'm finding is YouTube is beginning to take over uh, Facebook. And so we will be getting, I don't know, anywhere from five to 15,000 views on a video on uh, Facebook, which is uploaded natively. And then we'll get, you know, the same on, on YouTube. But YouTube was, was a slow burn, but mm-hmm. I can feel that it's, it's going to be a bigger burn. So if you could only use one format, would YouTube be your choice over Facebook Live? As a business, as a business owner, or as a real estate agent? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, let's go with as a real estate agent. As a real estate agent, I think Facebook, uh, by just by design, is is targeted at a more local audience. Okay. So I think for realtors, Facebook is still the monster. Is still still the elephant in the room. Okay. Um, um, now, but you mentioned as a business owner, it sounds like YouTube might be your choice. If I was someone, if I was like, you know, the, the new Coldwell Banker going national, I would be hammering YouTube no end, putting up three to five videos a day. And uh, what's the secret, according to Peter, on getting that 
um, view, viewership up on on YouTube? What what when you post a video, what are you doing to get it the most opportunity for views? It's a really a really interesting question. So the title is obviously uh, very very important. Putting the tags in is very important. Um, certain keywords in the copy, but all of that stuff is. Is, is, is very much secondary to trying to create content that's really enjoyable and watchable. Mm, okay, so ultimately yeah. it, it still comes down to having good content. You can't just yes. post to post and then and keyword it up. You, content is king. Okay, which, which is true on websites and blogs as well. I mean, that it doesn't go away. Um, no matter how much technology changes, that seems to be the the number one rule. Right. And I think it always will be, and people try and game the system. I mean, we all remember those times, probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, where you could, if you had your website and it was essentially had a white background, you could put all the white keywords beneath it. Right. So nobody could see it, and then the Google web, uh, app, uh, the Google web crawlers would find them. Yeah, I remember. Now that's done. Yeah. Oh, that's where you I'm going. You can't game it. That's where I'm going wrong, Peter. I'm still doing it. <laughs> uh, well hey i wanted to ask you another question um regarding your business how are you driving in traffic to you, yourself and your agents what is the source uh is it are you buying leads or or are you self-generating uh is it repeat business uh what would you say your number one pipeline is so as far as I, I have always shied away from Zillow and, and, and creatures such as, mm. because I find that they just hand trash bags full of crap to you. And it takes so many man hours to sift through those bags of crap to find someone that's even barely a lead. <laughs> Whereas if I took that time and prospected people I know, kind of know, might know, could know, uh, I feel like the pipeline will always remain full. So I don't give my agents any leads. We're very traditional in that sense that um, I show the agents how to harness social media and, and, other, and other digital strategies so that they can be in the face of their sphere more and translate that into deals. Okay, so it's it's more about using the technology that's available to you through social media than it would be for the tr what what you know these days would be considered traditional lead sources like Zillow. Correct. Okay. Correct. I'm a very big proponent of, and on the walls of the PLG offices, one day I promise to paint when in letters ten feet tall. When you run out of people you know, look for strangers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's you know that's another. Uh, question I have for you is do, do you do any form of um, uh, networking do you go out to events and mixers yeah very interesting I, I have not really done that um, my children now are nine six and four so they've been little so over the past you know nine years I haven't wanted to abandon my wife and leave her at home with the kids so no not really not really I, I, I don't I always find networking events to be 
I don't know. I feel like a piece of chum and there's a bunch of sharks <laughs> circling around me. Yeah, so, they, they can be kind of superficial. <laughs> yeah, not, I mean, I did one networking event at JP Morgan here in Beverly Hills in, in the morning. It was breakfast once a month and nothing came of it. I find when I, when I network or when I, when I hang out with my tribe, which is the creative industries of LA, whether it be music, film, you know, uh, uh, Silicon Beach, that organically I run into people that want to buy and sell. Okay, love it. Now, you mentioned you're a family man, and by the way, um, happy belated Father's Day from one Thank dad to another. Um, how do you keep those boundaries so that your marriage and your kids' relationships with you stay intact? Because you are you sound like you're a very busy guy. You've got a big team. Um, how do you take your downtime? So Cindy and I have made a policy of sculpting our day mm. around the fact that every night we have dinner with the kids. Ah, okay. If that means that we have to work afterwards, we'll work afterwards, which we pretty much do every night. Mm. And what we decided to do, well, actually the credit goes to Cindy on this one. She, we, we said she's an incredibly intelligent, articulate and uh, beautiful and talented woman. And so what we elected to do was, look, you, you can stay home and raise the children, but I can't repeat you. Whereas I can repeat someone that can help with the kids, that can cook and clean. And, and so we hired someone to kind of do the, the, the domestic stuff at home, who has become kind of part of the family and she is incredibly dear to us. But what that does is it frees us up to focus our time on work. Gotcha. And then we, we come home, dinner's ready, we have dinner with the kids, and then you know the kids go off and play with their iPads now, and then we carry on working, and then we all, you know. I think, uh, I think Thomas, we're gonna end the podcast part of the show, folks. We're gonna continue on on the YouTube channel, and you'll be able to see that on the website and on the YouTube channel, folks. I'm trying to cut this down because I had feedback from people that they listen to this um, on um, when they're traveling from one um, gig to the other and they, they said they like it a little bit shorter. So we're going to shorten a little bit, but we're going to continue, like I say, on the video. So, Thomas, can you take over and ask Peter to... Um, sure. Yep. So, Peter, hang in there with us. But for the sake of our listeners on iTunes, uh, will you let them know how to reach you um, if they want to sure. reach out to you? So, if people want to find me, um, you can find me in two places. My all my accounts are, oh, well, actually, yeah, at Peter Lorimer, which is P E T E R L O R I M E R at Peter Lorimer on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. But easier still is at PLG Estates. Right. At PLG Estates. Anybody can reach me there, and I would love to get feedback, any questions or thoughts. I welcome them all. Awesome. And definitely check out Peter's uh, YouTube channel. It's pretty entertaining. All right. Uh, and Jonathan, how can people reach you? It's quite easy, folks. You can get me on my Twitter feed, at Jonathan Denwood. Um, tech and real estate mixed up in a mixture. Um, or you can email me at jonathan at mail-right.com. 
All right. And for me, it's at Thomas J. Nelson, realtor.com. And again, in San Diego, California, where I'm never too busy for your referrals. Um, we're going to end the uh, podcast portion, but if you want to continue with us, folks, just join us on the YouTube uh, video and we'll continue there. See you next week, folks. Bye. Bye, mate.